Hi, this is Lex, and welcome to the Fintech Blueprint. It's your podcast about fintech, decentralized finance, digital banking, investing, robo-advice, artificial intelligence, and all the other frontier technology that is transforming financial services. To get more content, like an illustrated transcript of this conversation in your inbox, subscribe at fintechblueprint.com. So without further delay, let's jump into today's episode. Hi, everybody, and welcome to today's podcast session. I'm super excited to have with us Matt Bivens, who is the founder and CEO at Canopy. Canopy is a modern digital lending company, and I'm so excited to learn more about it as well as what's happening in that market more broadly. Matt also has a really interesting background growing some of the core fintech companies in the space. So we'll talk about that as well. Matt, welcome to the conversation. Lex, thanks for having me here. I'm super excited about it. Been a fan of the podcast for a while and really pumped to be talking all things fintech, infrastructure, and canopy. You're in the hot seat now. I'm going to be super mean. Now that I know <laughs> okay. that you've, uh, you've listened to the podcast, I'm going to be super critical. Starting with this extremely hardball question, which is, how did you get your career started? What kind of things did you focus on in the early days and which direction did it go? Yeah, so in a former life, I was a product designer and front-end developer. And so this really helped me understand the difference between building something for other people versus building something for yourself. And so design communicates and helps facilitate better life experiences, at least, at least great design does, great product design does, where art is about your own personal expression. And so I picked up really early on, this was like back when the first iPhones came out and doing some app development, things that I could help influence to increase engagement. And that really helped give me a focus back in, in the early days. And from there, went to business school, did consulting, and made my way from the East Coast out to SF back in 2013 to start joining early stage companies. And so I've joined various startups, particularly in the fintech space at different levels, pre-product fit, product fit, growth stage, and then ultimately IPO. So I have a little bit of knowledge of the different phases of growing a fintech. I want to hit on all of those. But the first question is around design and what you said about designing for yourself versus for other people. One of the kind of generic advices given for startups is, or startup founders, and often first-time founders, is, you know, start working on a problem that is a problem that you have. You know, it's like, so many stories are, I couldn't pay my parents who were in a different country, and so I built a remittance company, you know, or I didn't have any friends, and so I, you know, I built the Facebook. I'm going to leave that pause as a long joke in there yeah. about Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. But so isn't the startup experience building for yourself? Aren't you always supposed to just build stuff for yourself? And you know, hopefully there's lots of you out in the world. Yeah, I think there's partial truth to that for sure. I mean, for me, it was a personal pain point at several fintechs that ultimately gave me the, the courage to take the risk to start canopy, seeing the same problem again and again in different stages of fintech helped me understand that there wasn't really any flexibility or personalization when it came to systems of record and, and ledgering. So we'll, we'll go deeper into canopy in a few. 
And so it was my personal experience that that led me to that, but I needed to validate right out of the gate that I wasn't alone. And so from the very first check that we received back in 2019, uh, I went around San Francisco and spoke to every single major fintech out there that wasn't yet in lending. And so our thesis is that every company eventually gets into lending and every loan starts at servicing. Servicing being any company that has to account for their customers making repayments needs to service them. So we are the lending infrastructure that enables that. And back in 2019, there was a plethora of of debit card companies out there. There were companies that were on the B2B space, but not yet lending. And I needed to talk to them to understand, is this a real pain point? Do you want to build this in-house? If you're not going to build it in-house, why? And you start to recognize a pattern that it's extremely complicated. It is not most people's core competencies. I, you know, I compare it to most people could build their own payment processor if they wanted to or be a payfac, but 99% of people work with Stripe or Rainforest or Phoenix. And so I, I think that the same thing is true here where lending may not be part of your core competencies. And so we help accelerate that. But if it was only me on an island, then there, there wouldn't be you know, enough value to the other people that we're building for. And so as a B2B company, I needed to validate with other businesses that this pain was real. That's a fantastic intro to Canopy. And I'm going to put a pin in kind of opening that up and try to dig a little bit more in that early design experience that you're talking about, because I think there's kind of an entrepreneurial truth to it, right? Which is when you have a consumer problem where you have some mobile app or you're, you're doing UX, you're trying to think from the perspective of a customer and then you're trying to imagine how they would go through some sort of problem or navigate information or whatever. And you really have to empathize and maybe you're, you know, you're designing a cat food website and you're a dog person, but you're still having to figure out how to guide somebody through their experience, you know, and their affection for their cat. But at the same time, people are often advised to just focus on problems that they have themselves that, you know, if you're trying to do a company just against the market opportunity, you're trying to start a company in a field that might not be native to you or isn't the problem that you're experiencing, that's too hard. So I guess I was really curious about your description of your product design training as thinking about solving other people's problems. Like in a very broad sense, how do you square focusing on your own problems versus those of, you know, what would be a customer or some particular persona that you're looking at from a marketing perspective? Really great question and also uh, incredibly random example with the cat food website. So I'm going to note that as well. You never know. You never know. I've designed some weird stuff, man. You never know. So look, I think that great companies, great founders have to balance this fine line between resiliency and stubbornness. And so whether you're B2C or or B2B, you as a founder have a mission statement, you have a vision, you have conviction in it. And ours hasn't changed in the last four years. But over time, you navigate and evolve based on customer feedback of who you're selling to. And sometimes you might have the wrong profile of the individual you're selling to. And what you're making, they don't care about. YC has a really great slogan, which is make something people want. And that it's better to have a handful of people that love you versus 
thousands of people that, that like you. Now, that is much, much easier said than done. It's an incredibly hard thing to do. Um, it kind of goes back to the vitamin painkiller analogy. If you're just making something that people take every day and they don't really know if it's good for them or not, you're not actually solving something. And so the way that I asked this at, at you know, when I was starting Canopy, because I, I felt pre-product fit in my former, my former startups, my former past lives, which is that if we didn't exist, would people be okay? And for Canopy, I, you know, I fundamentally believe that the world is better with us in it because we're creating safer, more transparent, personalized financial products for both FIs and fintechs and those that are embedding it into their own product because at the heart of it, servicing is around customer service, it's around engagement. If you care about your, your end customers, you want to service them. And if you're dealing with financial products, you need an accurate and precise rules and policy engine, and that's what Canopy provides. And so it's always been about balancing the conviction that I've had in the pain points that I've dealt with in the past, while also listening to customers and adapting along the way. The interesting thing about B2B, and in our case, enterprise, is that we don't need to, you know, we're, we're not in a world of, of horses that we need to invent a car, right? That's much more the consumer end of things. Our customers tell us exactly what the problem is. Now, the hard part is that every customer has a slight different variation of this, and we have to recognize with a pattern and create enough configurable platform layer around it so that we're not incredibly fragmented when we implement. But in the business space, if you just talk to people, and it's funny, like this sounds so obvious, but people don't do it all the time. So I spend a lot of time talking with our customers, our prospects, and, and understanding and validating, you know, are the things that we're building, are they actually going to use it? Do they need it? Do they care about it? Got it. Okay. So some of those issues you kind of started facing early on in your career. Can you talk about some of the experiences you had in other fintech companies? Like what brought you to Ernest and to Green Sky and what kind of skill set did you develop there? Pre-Ernest, I was at a small YC company. I joined as the fourth or fifth employee to head up product, data, and design, which is now called growth. But at the time, it was a combination of all three of those in your job title, which seemed kind of random. But my job was to grow the revenue of, of the company through product and technology and acquisition. And the company that we were, that we were working on cre- allowed people to book a vacation home instantly, which even on Airbnb, they're getting better, but is not 100% today. And in order to book a home instantly, you need to deal with real-time payments and payment infrastructure. And so I got to see on the back end how complicated this was. This was almost pre-Stripe, or Stripe was very, very nascent at the time. And I just fell in love with how difficult that, that was and how on the front end, the user might see a beautiful site with properties to book, but to actually make all of that come true it's incredibly difficult on the back end with, with money movement. So that was really where I cut my teeth on fintech. After that company was acqui-hired, I went on to join Ernest. I had student loans. I looked at Ernest and SoFi. Both were in the student loan refi space. And I really valued the people and the culture at, at Ernest. And what their mission was, was to democratize financial services through data. And we started out with personal loans, went into student loans. But the goal there was to connect all of these products that a 
individual needs at the moment that they need them seamlessly. And in order to do that, you, you need a, a data layer, a servicing layer, which we never were able to bring to, to fruition. But I really love my time at, at Ernest. I met some of my best friends and some of the smartest people in the world. How would you acquire customers and get originations and stuff like that? I mean, in the broad sense, it's like, well, you go and market to them and you convert them. But how did you do it? What were the channels that, that worked at the time? Like most digital first companies that are in acquisition, there's only a handful ways you can do it. You can do it through or organically, you know, whether that be email, SEO, you can do it through paid, you can, you know, whether it's SEM, banner ads, TV ads, etc. You can do it through referrals, so word of mouth, viral loops, and you can do it through partnerships. And so we use a, a a varying degree of those strategies together to ensure that you know we had a good mix of our acquisition channels because there is a limit to certain acquisition channels. At the time, there was a few really big referral sites. One was called Student Loan Hero that drove a, a lot of traffic for us. And student loans back in 2015, 2016, interest rates were incredibly high. For, for your original student loan. And so to refi at half that rate, and then for Ernest, we gave the flexibility to switch between fixed and variable rates and to choose non-traditional terms. And, and this was an important point that I learned, which I pulled forward into Canopy, which is that the majority of people want a non-standard term. And the way you get to a non-standard term is that Ernest, we enabled people to either pick their year that they wanted, they want a 10-year loan, 15-year loan, seven-year loan, do they want a particular interest rate, which changed the term, or do they want to optimize for the payment amount, which changed both interest rate and term? And people wanted a a variety of things. It, It reminds me of a Malcolm Gladwell talk around spaghetti sauces. Like There used to just be one type of spaghetti sauce, and now there's a lot. And it's because people want choice. They want to, you know, some people want the basil pesto sauce. Some people want chunky tomato. Same thing is true with financial products. Just like cats and cats. Exactly. I wanted to throw a random random reference in there. uh, (laughs) Even today, most financial products are a commodity. And so at Ernest, we gave people choice and, and allowed them to personalize their product, which also depended on where they were in their life. Some people were coming right out of school to us. We would acquire them. Some people were after grad school and looking to, to refinance. Some people had a personal loan on earnest to pay down their student loan and they wanted multiple products. And so it, it really depended. But my, my job there was the, the top of funnel. So as the head of growth in originations, it was how, how do you find these individuals and then how do we ensure that they're the right level of risk for the company, that we're pricing them and underwriting them. And then after the originations is when servicing kicks in. And so that's kind of how I saw the, the the transition at at Ernest, which was, you know, I think one of the more modern fintechs at, at that time. If you look at industry cost of acquisition across the types of products that Ernest and then and then GreenSky was supporting, like what are the industry numbers and was there any advantage on the fintech side in acquiring? It is 100% based on the average loan amount or balance of the individual. So if I'm in the mortgage space, 
I can have a much higher cost of acquisition than if I'm only selling debit cards. Now, debit cards are kind of interesting because most of those companies are running their revenue fully on interchange. And if you have enough share of wallet, then the interchange is almost like SaaS revenue in, in some ways. It's, it's, it's highly variable based on the type of fintech product you're offering. To get more specific, it can range from a couple dollars if, if you don't have a product that has high frequency all the way to in, in the thousands of, of, of dollars, right? Our average student loan at Ernest was 75,000. Average home improvement loan at Green Sky was between 15K to 25K. That's very different, unlike a firm. A firm, buy now, pay later company, has a, a more transactional type of flow. So people are buying jeans, shoes, and so their cost of acquisition matters about you know the, the type of loan they have. Now, where companies ultimately want to go is that they don't want to have to reacquire that individual. And so this is where second and third, you know, fourth financial product types increase their retention. We are not having to go that that's like the holy grail of the fintech space where I have a single product, maybe it's a loss leader, maybe I offer it for free, maybe it's just, you know, one point in time that, that somebody needs it like a student loan refi. But then if I can build additional financial products around it, I won't have to reacquire that individual. And then my overall blended CAC goes down significantly. Let's touch briefly on, on Green Sky before going to Canopy. Was it a similar role that you held there just on a bigger portfolio? How did you grow your capabilities there? Ernest sold to Navient in 2017. And I had some friends at QED. And I was looking to move back from San Francisco to the East Coast. I grew up in Maryland, Maryland, D.C. is where most of my family is from. And so I called up the best venture firm in this area, which is QED, and not just this area, but in in the world. And they said, we just invested in this company in Atlanta. It's, it's It's not Maryland. It's not D.C. It is the East Coast. And it's a company you've probably never heard of called Green Sky. And I hadn't at the time. And I flew down to meet the Green Sky team. And I was just blown away by the revenue machine that they had going on there. And so Green Sky was about 10 times bigger than Ernest at the time in, in every way. Ernest was a little over 100 people. Green Sky was over 1,000 people. You know, We had reached a billion-dollar AUM at, at Ernest prior to me leaving. At Green Sky, they had been doing 5 to $7 billion in originations every year routinely. And then the big thing is that they had a, a strong EBITDA already. And so that was just, I mean, it's almost silly to, to talk about a fintech being profitable back in 2017, but they, they were. And coming from the West Coast, where I think, you know, if you look at fintech, the West Coast focused a lot on the tech, little on fin, and you do need that subject matter expertise so you're not having to recreate the wheel for, for everything. And at Green Sky, they had big, big fin with Nigel Morris being on the board, significant flow of referral traffic from Capital One, who is known as some of the best, you know, data risk and credit underwriting minds in, in, in the world. And so I was just blown away at, at what they had going on there. And I didn't, not many people had heard of them because they didn't do a lot of PR or, or press and pretty much stayed heads down focusing on, on building. And so, my job there was both broader and more specific. So at Ernest, where I was focused on top of funnel growth and finding and acquiring the right people across the portfolio, 
at Green Sky, I was brought in to be a GM and, and own the PL of a specific product type. So Green Sky focused on acquiring merchants in the home improvement space. And then those merchants would go into people's homes and give them a 0% promo product for windows, doors, roofing, HVAC, et cetera. And then those consumers would pay back to Green Sky. Green Sky would sell the loans to the bank. So it was kind of a trifecta of merchant, consumer, homeowner, bank. I was there to flip that around and more or less build a, a thumbtack for the existing Green Sky customers to promote our merchants to them. And over the time of me being there, the merchant base grew from, I'm not sure of the starting number, but it was well over 25,000 merchants. We, we, we had a 40 to 1 CACT LTV on, on merchants. Our home ownership was over 2 million consumers. And then again, we continued to do 5 to 7 billion in, in originations. Got to ring the bell on the NASDAQ with them, which was an amazing milestone in my life. And you know, see both pre and post life as a private to public company. Amazing and famously, Green Sky was acquired by Goldman, and it's gone on. It's gone on a quite a journey since uh, since, since I've left. You know, we we were the largest fintech IPO at four and a half billion. Goldman acquired it for two and a half billion, and now Goldman is getting out of Marcus and its other other assets. I'm sure there's a, another retro to be done on 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 that journey, but. Ultimately, Green Sky has just continued to get more profitable. So it's an amazing business. I think it's it's complicated because of the different pieces involved in it. And analysts wanted to put it in a box. You know, are you a payments company? Are you more like a closed loop network like Amex? Or are you a lender? And Green Sky was really none of those three. It was its own thing. And so I think that just becomes hard when you're trying to comp it in, in the public markets. But it's a fantastic company. And the team there is, is amazing. It's really the OG pie now, pay later company. How did you transition from that to the founder experience? You opened up talking about you know some of the the same problems appearing to you over and over again, and that was motivating. But it's still a big step to say, okay, I'm going to build this from scratch now. I want to do it. I want to have all the problems. Yeah, I think both at at Ernest and and definitely at Green Sky as a GM, you're like the CEO of your product line, and so you're already dealing with all the problems, but you're more or less building on someone else's story. And so that was part of it, you know, wanting to go out and 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 write the story myself whether it worked or not was not really any of the intention. It was just proving that you know, I could go out on my own with my past experience and and get something off the ground. And it got to a point where, you know, I, I was just like itching for the next thing. And because of my journey going from very small YC company pre-product fit to Ernest that was scaling significantly, we were hiring 10 people a week at the peak to Green Sky, which was maturing as a public company and then ultimately becoming a public company. I had felt that I had seen the good, the bad, the ugly along the way, that it was a logical step. Now, logic is, (laughs) there's a little bit of irony in that because I think you have to have a few screws loose to leave a, a growth stage, high-paying job to, to go out on your own. But I did, and it was with a lot of encouragement from other founders and, and other folks that, that gave me the confidence to be able to do this. And I felt like, you know, ultimately, and I don't mean this in an ego way at all, but I, I could always go back to work somewhere else if, if I needed to. And so I 
cashed out just transparently, did not make a ton off of the Green Sky IPO and took $50,000 that was our savings to start Canopy. And so I have, I have three small children. I had you know, two small children when, when I launched Canopy. Mortgage basic expenses d- didn't come from wealth. And so that was the bigger risk piece was just like the cash flow and, and when we're going to get funding and how that's going to work. But the risk in terms of the idea, you know, I felt a lot of conviction in myself. And that was sort of the, the prequel to what gave me the bravery to, to step out on my own. And then I can go into like what the original idea was and we actually pivoted into what we are now. But it, it took a lot of friends of mine and, and my network telling me like, it, it's time. You have good friends that are excited to see you suffer. <laughs> you know, I've lately, especially given the downturn and in the markets and the lack of traction and in chunky portions of the fintech and the Web3 ecosystems, like I've been less and less product centric. We spent all this time sort of with the lean startup training of you know, get your customer and then just pivot your product around their needs until it's perfect and so on. And I feel like a whole generation of entrepreneurs have been taught to just product it. Any problem you have, just product the answer. I think that that's right if you're using product as a way to test go-to-market, but it's wrong if you don't understand the go-to-market problem. As somebody who spent so much time doing growth and operating a business, I'm really curious in your founding journey, like, how did you spend time with prospects? How did you try to go to market when your product wasn't yet ready? And like the initial looking for like the spark that would give you past the the cold start problem. Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. There's certainly chicken and egg in there. And it goes back to my previous point about vitamin and painkiller. Are you really solving something that matters deeply to people? For us, Canopy was originally a student credit card. And so we were looking to be the the best and safest student credit card, which I still think is an amazing product. It doesn't really exist today. Capital One's starting APR is 30% for, for college students. And outside of student loan debt, credit card debt is the second highest debt that, that kids graduate with. And this is also a personal problem to me because I, I graduated with debt, didn't have a, a FICO score, and you could never get anything to help you. And so it was this like endless pit of debt. And so we set out to do this where we were going to, I interviewed a bunch of parents and we talked to the parents about how they were paying for for their kids' expenses. And it was either through using their own credit card or they were just giving their kids cash that wasn't helping them either. And there was a concern for parents that you know they did need some checks and balances and, and safety over, over the, the their child. And I felt like you know, we could actually look at the different transactions to understand risk because going to a liquor store versus spending at the bookstore has a different risk threshold. It shouldn't just all be underwritten the same way. And so in doing this, I had a bank sponsor signed up. We were going to use Galileo as our issuer. And when it came to the actual core, the system of record, the rules engine that governs a, a, with revolving policies, and I had some very specific requests that I won't go into here because they were part of our IP, there were really only two choices, which were core card 
or Fiserv. Corecard didn't respond to me, and Fiserv gave me some insane quote after it took me six weeks just to get a hold of them. And again, we were bootstrapped off of a little bit of cash that, that I started with. And so having seen the good, the bad, the ugly of servicing systems, both at Earnest and at Green Sky, I knew what worked and what didn't work. And it's a pretty you know back office, like very, very niche thing that, again, in my case, like I, I, I saw repeatedly that, that everybody needed it. Nobody really wanted to do it. And if you were doing it, you had to spend internally, you had to just spend years and years and years endlessly on the maintenance of the data because getting the loan tapes and the accuracy that you need for banks and debt warehouses is you have to be precise, right? We're not, it's not selling t-shirts that you're moving people's money and it needs to be accurate to the penny. And no one could really give this to us. And so I felt like we could build this ourselves. And this is like, I guess maybe where I had high conviction, but it sounds kind of crazy that, that we could do it. In starting off this journey, a bunch of VCs rejected us. I was rejected from, from Y Combinator. This is where the, the stubbornness and resiliency comes in, which is there were signals in the market that were saying we couldn't do this with a seed funding. I think it can still be done, but you know, we were looking to raise uh, a couple hundred thousand. There's just no way that we could get a credit card off the ground for that, particularly compete with CAC on you know, massive marketing budgets that Capital One has. And so I went back to the drawing board, you know, really went through what we were doing, what was working, what was not working. And this is like, you know, I think something that you have to do as, as a founder where you're constantly doing a, a gut check of like checking in with yourself, with your prospects, with your platform and, and starting to tinker there. And so for me, the system of record was always the hardest thing. The, the rules engine was always the hardest thing. And so towards the end of October in 2019, Money 2020 was coming up, and I reached out to a bunch of larger companies that were going to be there, Chris Britt from, from Chime, Johnson Cook from Greenlight, and wanted to see if I could set up meetings with them to ask them, are they going to get into lending? And that we had this rules engine that could, could help them. And we, you know, we were very like prototype early, early days. But in meeting with them in person, I, I booked a, a ticket on a Friday for the show was on a Sunday using some of the last bits of savings I had. Didn't even get a ticket to Money 2020. It was just like me meeting with people around the Venetian. And all of them said, yeah, we'd love to get an API to that. To that. And so that was like, wow, okay, now there's something here because the market pool is instantly validating. And then I went back to some of the, the VCs that I appreciated their feedback on, on, on the card product, Foundation Capital and, and Homebrew, and told them, look, this is what I've learned over the last few months. This is you know, wh- where we're evolving to. And they said, I can, I can write a check for that. And so that's ultimately, you know, we raised $3.5 million as our seed round at the end of 2019. And it came from this learning journey that matters just as much as the product velocity. It's, it's what you're learning from it. Can you frame a little bit where you are now? What's the scale of the business? What are its sort of most adopted competencies and what kind of customers you have? So where Canopy is now, we are four years in. We just celebrated our fourth birthday. Our team is close to 50. We are a fully distributed, fully remote team. We've been that way from the beginning. Primarily engineering-led, so we have about 30 engineers. We've scaled a lot. We raised... $15 million Series A in 2021. 
And then we are just announcing an additional round of 15.2 million that we closed recently. Our All of our insiders were incredibly excited about our progress and, and our growth story, which, you know, in, in, in the current times, many fintechs are struggling, cost of capital is high. But when it comes to servicing and repayments, everybody needs repayments, whether it's the best of times or the, or the worst of times. And so we've refined our product and our ICP significantly. We handle, you know, touching on the ICP, anyone that is launching a complex lending product that is uh, that has mature lending expertise that wants to be multi-product. So they're not just looking for a single product, but they have a vision of, of a multi-product world and has some tech in-house to, to work with an API first company, that that's really our, our sweet spot. Now that falls both to B2C and B2B. However, we've seen just tremendous growth on the commercial lending side. So Canopy can support really any type of unsecured product, re- revolving cards, charge cards, debit cards, that can be both B2C and, and B2B. But we've doubled down on, on the commercial side with merchant cash advance, invoice factoring, working capital products being a major part of our growth this year. And so we crossed about 1 million API calls in April of 2021. We now do 20 million API calls a month. API calls should be a proxy for engagement. Most of our our companies on our platform are either large uh, established lenders or are embedded lenders, Flexport being one of them, Novo out of Miami, Bank Novo being another. So we, we work with players that you know, vertical SaaS, people that are offering lending products as a way to enhance the engagement and, and make additional revenue. That that's really where where we we come into play. And so it's been an awesome four years. And I think ultimately we're we're really just getting started. That's fascinating stuff. And I like the connection between, you know, your prior experience and origination and realizing that like, why is there just this cutoff in terms of the workflow? And as new people get into origination through often third parties, not having a modern solution is a, is a huge gap. Yeah, well, I mean, I think, again, this is why most financial products are the same. The three-year loan that Wells Fargo offers is the same as Bank of America, is the same as SoFi. And ultimately, it's similar bank cores underneath the covers managing those rules, Fiserv, TSIS, FIS, Jack Henry, but the borrower wants something different. You know, they might want a non-traditional loan. And if you're a merchant and you're looking for working capital, your working capital needs are going to vary based on the type of product you're selling. And so you need a highly flexible, configurable platform that offers daily payments, seven-day cycles, 30-day cycles, the ability to have multiple loans rolled under one account. Cabbage was kind of the modern solution for some time, and that company prior to Amex buying it, you know, is less than ten years old. And so we see there being a very big blue ocean in, in the commercial lending working capital space, particularly where banks have not done a great job of utilizing the data that that merchants give to to be better at underwriting. So a fintech may never be able to compete with the cost of capital of of a bank, but if they're looking at the, the invoices, if they're looking at the, the repayment schedules, you know, companies like Arc, 
Stripe Capital, Toast is is a really great example of someone that we look up to. You know, they're they're doing this really really well. You you need a lending core that can help you accelerate not only the initial product you have, but across you know multiple product types. Yeah, totally makes sense. And you're bringing up Cabbage, like a sweet memory, you know, Cabbage and On Deck and their attempts to do integrations into the banks and how much of life is is good timing. And right now the market seems quite ready for what you've built. You know, it's exactly a part of the the new value chain. How do you see the evolution of the digital lending sector? You know, certainly your business, like what are you excited about? But also more broadly, like, is there a change in the market structure of this business? Yeah. So I think that in general, we've all seen the the graphic of in the Wells Fargo homepage of the unbundling of it with all of these fintechs trying different pieces. And I think for most of fintech 1.0, maybe even for, for 2.0, depending on who you ask where we are today, some people say that that's now, some people say we're in the future of that. But Somewhere over the last you know, 10, 10-ish years, most of fintech was a marketing company that had a really great user experience on the front end. But under the covers, it was, it was a mess because either people were trying to build it themselves and they didn't have the, the expertise, or you were working with one of the existing cores or, or existing systems. And so I think that we've seen the emergence of great infrastructure and what that can do. Marketa being one of the, the companies that comes to mind doing it really well. Obviously, Stripe is is crushing it also. And you know, these companies enable people to focus on the what they do best, right? And so instead of trying to be everything to everybody, which is what you kind of had to do in the early days of fintech because Canopy didn't exist, now, you know, we can help companies focus on what they they do best, which might be data, could be acquisition, could be user experience. And in the the case of vertical SaaS providers, you know all of the things that, you know, in in that industry, whether it be healthcare, the restaurant space, whether it be in the manufacturing space. Flexport is a global logistics company, right? But they're also an amazing lender with, with Canopy. And so despite some of the recent headlines there, Lending is core to what they do because their suppliers need it, their their merchants need it, and the same thing is true with really any other small business. If if you have if you have if you run a small business, you have inventory, you need working capital, and so we see our solution being able to meet people where they are in a personalized, transparent, and safe way, and this should help more people get into lending, where it's not just banks. And so I, I don't believe that you know we need to sign. You know, huge banks to, to win in the future. It's about helping anybody who believes in the high engagement and, and customer servicing vertical, right? Do- DoorDash is, is a services you. Uber services you. When you're dealing with financial products, you need a system of record, the rules and policy engine to, to govern that in, in a fast and reliable way. And so that's what we do. And so I think you know, we're going to continue to help people become lenders. We're going to continue to embed Canopy in different verticals that may not seem like a lender, but they are, right? I mean, Peloton is effectively a lender. They just use a firm to do it. And so that's really where I see the future. And I'm really, really excited about where we are. Again, interest rates will come down. We go through cycles. Valuations go up and down. But what matters is that we're staying focused on the long term, which is helping any operator be a better lender 
And if you're a better lender, then you'll have better borrowers. Fascinating stuff. I really like that vision of the future. And I think it's it's a part of the stack that has been missing and, and is sorely needed. If we want our audience to learn more about you or about Canopy, where should they go? They should go to canopyservicing.com. They can follow me on LinkedIn. Canopy has a pretty big LinkedIn presence. We try to post you know, thought leadership articles every week or so. And so, and I, you know, obviously welcome people's feedback around some of the problems and challenges they're, they're facing. Matt, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Lex. Cheers. Hi, everyone. That's it for this week's episode of the FinTech Blueprint. For more technical deep dives into all things FinTech and decentralized finance, check out fintechblueprint.com and grab a free subscription to the newsletter. This is Lex, and I'll see you next time. <music>